Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and as previously noted, over the next few weeks, possibly months, we're going to be doing short episodes that focus on the top prospects available in the 2020 NBA draft. What we're going to do is just take them in the order that I have them right now in my latest mock draft. So we started with LaMelo Ball, and today we will focus on Obadiah Richard Toppin. Dick Toppin. Could be Dick Toppin, but he goes by Obi. <laughs> Norlander, this is my first question. Yes. If you had the options of going by Obi Toppin or Dick Toppin, what would you do? You know, I'd go – I think I'd be Dick Toppin. I, you know what? I like Obi Toppin. I do I do like Obi. I, that, that would be my choice, but I tell you what, you give me 100 guesses at Obadiah Toppin's middle name. I don't know if I'm landing on Richard there. I'm guessing uh, potentially a father, grandfather, uncle situation there. It but. is an interesting comment. Like, okay, so Obadiah Toppin, that's awesome. Richard Toppin, fine. You wouldn't really expect Obadiah and Richard to be next to each other. It's not a common, it's not a common combination right there. Not, not by any means. But you know what? This is why I've mentioned this before on a previous podcast. I love college basketball because you can wind up having the best dude in the sport named Obi Toppin. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's just every year, just uh, an off the beaten path kind of name here. Hey, man, this is an interesting one. So we did Lamelo Ball. He right. was your number. He, as previously noted, as listeners will will note, he was number one in your mock draft. Now you have Obi Toppin number two. We are much, much closer, much closer with 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 uh, Obadiah than we are with Lamelo. Whereas I had. Lamelo seventh on my overall big board. Uh, Obi Toppin is number one on on my list here. I think that Obi Toppin has clearly demonstrated a skill set and having an NBA body. His growth. He's older, but to me, he is the safest bet. The best combination of elevated floor and still a pretty good ceiling. So you've got him too. I've got him one. I've got some stats and thoughts to throw your way as we get through this podcast, but I'll throw it right back to you. For you, what leads you to say, okay, LaMelo Ball one, Obi Toppin two in this 2020 draft? I think LaMelo Ball has, again, uh, as I've noted on the previous podcast, LaMelo Ball's got the best chance to be a star in the NBA. Uh, I, I, I think his floor is lower than Obi Toppin's. I, I think Obi Toppin is the safest guy in this draft. I cannot imagine, outside of injuries, I can't imagine a scenario where Obi Toppin is not an impactful NBA player right from the jump. I think Obi Toppin will be the rookie of the year. But I think if Obi Toppin maximizes what he is and LaMelo Ball maximizes what he is, I think LaMelo Ball ends up being the better long-term NBA player. Obviously, uh, you know, prospects don't always maximize. They often don't. They rarely do. But it, that, that's how I would distinguish between these two guys. But I do think they should go one-two in the draft, and I totally understand why people, including yourself, might prefer Obi Toppin. Just some bullet point stuff, reigning national player of the year, 
averaged 20 points, 7.5 rebounds for a Dayton team that was projected to be number one seed in the NCAA tournament, led the nation in dunks, so he's great around the rim, shot 39% from three-point range, which suggests he can be a stretch four, and maybe even, you know, in small ball lineups, a three-point shooting small ball five. Like, that's not off the table. So, um, really, the only drawback here is that he's already 22 years old. Um, you know, what, what, and when I talk to NBA scouts about him, because I, I, I know why we should love him. Like, that's easy to see. He was awesome um, at Dayton and awesome with a skill set and, uh, um, and the necessary athleticism and explosiveness to translate to the NBA. Like, sometimes you see guys who are awesome in college, you just go, I don't know how that's going to work in the NBA. Like, everything Obi Toppin does, I – I can see how that works in the NBA. So I've, I've been interested to talk to um, NBA people who I know aren't as high on him because I want to ask the, I say, okay, I love him. You don't tell me why I, I don't really need to talk to anybody who loves him. I already, I, I got that. Mm-hmm. We're on the same page. Why, what do you not like? And what they say consistently is he, you know, what would LaMelo ball look like when he's 22 years old playing college basketball? You know, what would Anthony Edwards look like if he was 22-year-olds playing college basketball? What would James Wiseman look like if he were 22-year-olds playing college basketball? Like, maybe Obi Toppin is – like, if LaMelo Ball is only 50% of what he'll ever be, the argument against Toppin is he might be already be 80% of what he's going to be. Like, he doesn't have nearly as much room for growth. Do you accept that as a, as a problem, possible problem at all? I accept it in small measures here. I do have a little bit of an issue when we see year after year when some ageism can creep into the NBA draft process and thinking. I think some of it has some validity, but also you can use that against any sort of GM or front office personnel or scout to point out that so often you can get caught up with an 18, 19, or 20-year-old and what the potential might be and then go go and look back at any draft from the past 30 years and look at any player taken in the lottery who was equivalent to someone coming out of high school or a freshman and where ultimately their career wound up. Sure, there have been plenty of examples of guys who were young that were taken that were that have thrived, but there are plenty that simply never, ever get there. So I think you can go six and one, half dozen in the other with that. To me, Toppin if, is maybe bumped down a little bit because there are some some concerns with how good he is defensively, I actually happen to push back on that. They are not the same player at all. They are not the same size. They didn't play the same position. But I have the same opinion of Obi Toppin right now that I had of DeAndre Ayton before he got drafted. And DeAndre Ayton was an even more of a automatic, you should kind of take him kind of player. I, I, I knew that he had grown from the start of his freshman career at Arizona to what he was as a, as a defensive player. By the end, he was still highly knocked for his lack of defensive uh, aptitude. You look at him now, and he is making in tremendous strides. To me, Obi Toppin already showed plenty of why he is an adequate at worst defender at the college level. He's got broad shoulders, great feet. I think he's capable of defending a three or a four. The twos, okay, maybe there's a little bit of a question there. But to me, the production is undeniable. You mentioned the stuff around the rim. He shot 70% from two-point range. One of the most efficient players we've seen as a front court guy in college basketball in the past three or four years. In fact, kind of, it wasn't at the same level as Zion in terms of efficiency, but it was damn close. And he did more away from the rim than Zion Williamson did. So to me, Obi Toppin is the kind... 
I kind of get these two or three guys in a given year, GP. Last year, when we sat on that set on CBS Sports HQ and we talked about it on the podcast beforehand, who's the one dude who I swore to you would not suck? He wasn't projected as a top five pick, but I said it's undeniable when you look at his production, his physicality, how good he was more defensively and offensively. Who was the one guy I said, I promise you he won't suck? Do you remember? I, I, I don't remember, but... Brandon I'll Clark. That's what I was going to say. I actually did kind of remember it was Brandon Clark, and he does not suck. He's great. No, Brandon Clark was, and I had a couple more, but Brandon Clark was a guy who was like, he should not fall out of the lottery. His age was used against him in the same way that Obi Toppin's age is used against him now, and Brandon Clark has already proven to be a top 10 player in this class. Granted, I know we're still young into this season, and who knows what the what you know the the totality of this bubble thing is going to turn out to be but immediate returns suggest that yes his age shouldn't have been used against him so Toppin will also have and I'll throw it back to you he'll the other thing that will be used against him and I've seen him go in mocks really as high as one in my own and I don't think that he will go one but I do think he's gonna have the best career and I've seen him drop to as low as like ninth or tenth which to me is just outrageous but his competition is also going to be used against him. I uh, I find that to be specious at best because you could have said the same damn thing against John Morant to use another player who's playing in your hometown in Memphis right now. It just didn't matter. John Morant was awesome. Everyone knew he was awesome the same way Obi Toppin. Well, not the same way, but similarly how Obi Toppin was awesome. So I'm really glad that you've got him at number two. It would be damn refreshing if we got to draft night and I don't know if we'll have a combine or not, but if we don't have a combine, if his production and his value and the tape and his interviews and the background information all adds up to say, yeah, no, this is a clear cut across the board, top three kind of guy. I'm not convinced it's going to be that. But to me, I'm in on him more than anyone else. I think he's the, just the most reliably going to be good NBA prospect in this draft. And when we look up five, seven years from now, it's going to be clear. That's my, that's my take. Listen, if somebody wants to argue, um, listen, I, there's 18-year-old LaMelo Ball. I, I prefer that over 22-year-old anybody. I'll listen to that. 19-year-old James Wiseman over 22-year-old Obi Toppin. I'll listen to that. 19-year-old Anthony Edwards over 22-year-old Obi Toppin. I'll listen to that. I disagree, but I'll listen. It's reasonable. There is no scenario where I think you could pick eight dudes before you take Obi Toppin. No scenario. Zero. I, I would. I'm. I'm. I'm as emphatic with you as that in terms of a top five, personally. But eight is out of the question. If we, <laughs> if we are doing an HQ draft show and we get to like the eighth pick and Obi Toppin hasn't been taken, I'm going to lose my mind on that set. There's just there's no there's zero reason for justifying it. Zero. Yeah, because the counter argument to what I was saying earlier about you know what would what would Lamelo Ball look like in college basketball at 22 or Anthony Edwards at 22 or James Wiseman at 22. Like, would they be just as dominant as Obi Toppin? And I guess the answer to that is, sure, maybe. But, like, how much better than Obi Toppin could they be? Mm -hmm. I mean, Obi Toppin was awesome. And the whole, well, he did it in the A-10. Like, sometimes you just got to watch the games. Whatever Obi Toppin was doing to, to UMass, he could do to anybody. Obi Toppin would have been a star on any team in any league. You saw him out in Maui. Yeah, he, he didn't seem overwhelmed by Kansas. Best team he in was, the sport. Yeah, he, he was awesome, and he would have been awesome anywhere. Uh, the backstory on him for people who might not be familiar, really nice story, and it, it does have um, a common thread with some other high-level success stories over the years. So he's in high school, like he's a little he's a little guard. Nobody is recruiting him. 
he does goes to prep school and grows. I'm not sure of the exact amount of inches, but like significantly mm-hmm. grows. And suddenly here's this guy who's been playing guard his whole life, but now he's the size of a forward, but he still maintains those guard skills. So then he goes to, uh, he gets a Dayton offer, accepts that goes there. And I think he has to sit out a year. Was it academics? I believe it was. Yeah, academics. it was. Yes, it was. It was due to uh, academics and transcripts and credits, right. et cetera. Yeah, so, so he sits out a year and then has a really good kind of off the radar redshirt freshman season at Dayton. But like as the uh, MC of the A10 uh, of media day, I was it was on my radar, <laughs> uh, but not enough to where I thought he was going to be the player of the year as a redshirt sophomore. But with all due respect to Luca Garza, he was clearly the best at least in my mind the best player in the country on one of the best teams in the country and like i said um you know the the you know the other guys who have high-end talent who have grown um significantly at a late age and have been able to maintain some of the skills they had when they were a, a much smaller player, like those are their success stories around the league. Anthony Davis being, I think the most obvious one, yes. Anthony Davis, um, you know, as the story goes, was like playing high school basketball in Chicago. I remember talking to Bruce Weber about it one time. Bruce was the head coach at Illinois. Bruce was like, I'd never even heard of Anthony Davis or his high school. Like that's how off the radar Anthony Davis was. Then he grows like six, seven inches. And somebody told Bruce, they were like, Bruce, you got to go see this kid at this high school. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, well, like, where's he ranked? Not ranked, but he's going to be. And that, that is the Anthony Davis story. Uh, Obi Toppin has a similar story. He grew a little later, but he still grew significantly very quickly, was able to maintain some of the skills that he had when he was a smaller player. And what you get is a guy who you and I are on the same page has to go in the top five somewhere. He's got a really good mid-range game. You mentioned the uh, the three-point shot. Uh, he didn't shoot it a ton, but he wasn't shy with it. He took 82 threes, made 32 of them. That's a 39% clip. Uh, I actually think that's enough of of a sample size to at least put decent stock into the, his ability to step out and shoot. Obviously, there's a difference between the college line and the pro line, but I think that he's going to be well-built to do that. And by the way, he did play it like... If you really watch Dayton play, and plenty of our listeners were plenty familiar with Dayton, like Jalen Kutcher, Trey Landers, Rodney Chapman, Ibby Watson, and yes, this Dayton had an Obi and an Ibby on its team. I think that's the first in time in college history. But the point is, there's some like real, like high-end college talent around that to the point where, obviously, the Flyers went 29 and two. They, while many teams, including undefeated San Diego State, had banner seasons. You and I agree. We mentioned this back. It does feel like a year ago, but you know, in in late March, we feel that when we get five, ten years down the road from this. Dayton is going to be the poster child what-if team in a what-if season in college basketball. And two points I'm making here. One, it wasn't like Obi Toppin was absolutely having to do it all himself. He actually hit a, he hit a great balance between being an outright stud and outright star and having like legitimate playmakers around him that kind of upped his overall profile for me. But Toppin's interesting from his draft perspective in this. Massive what if we don't get an NCAA tournament? A lot of teams, you know, you could have been a one seed. Where might have you gone? I would have loved to have seen what Dayton would have done in the tournament and what kind of conversation we'd be talking about right now if Dayton makes a Final Four and Obi Toppin, they lose in the national semifinals, but Obi Toppin averages 25 and 9 over that run. Or Dayton gets a one seed, gets knocked out in the second round by an eight seed. Obi Toppin, you know, 
averages 15 and 5 in those two games and fair or not he'd still be evaluated as surely as a top 10 level kind of pick but I don't think that he would be in the conversation potentially to be a number one because the tournament can have some maybe overrated influence on prospects uh, overall stock there so I think Toppin's probably probably benefited personally by not having a tournament um, because if he had gone up against some stronger competition and, and, and hurt himself there, whereas now GP were going on basically what what he produced over the course of a season there. But he's the one guy in all the prospects we're going to talk about in, these, in this little mini pod series that not having a tournament, I weirdly think it actually might have benefited him. One more thing before I throw it back to you. Obi Toppin ranked in the top 10 in 10 categories last season. He was 10th in field goals made. He was 6th in field goal percentage. He was 4th in 2-point percentage, which I don't think can be overstated. Effective field goal percentage kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with that. He was 4th there. He was 7th in PER. As a comparison, Vernon Carey Jr., the best freshman in the country, was 3rd. Luca Garza was 2nd. True shooting percentage, he was 8th. Really had a great knack for knowing when and how to shoot. I think that that kind of decision-making decision making gets undervalued sometimes. He was 3rd in win shares per 40 minutes. Seventh in win shares overall. Third in box plus minus. The only guys better than him, Yudoka Azubuki, and then a dude that hasn't uh, made his decision yet, Xavier Tillman, who I think should absolutely go. But if he returns, it's a top five player in college basketball. And then offense bo- box, offensive box plus minus. Those are all courtesy of sports reference. So the point is, it's not just one or two things that Obi Toppin is really good at. I think he was an adequate, at worst, defender, and offensively, he he showed the array there that leads GP to have him two and me to have him one. I, I suppose it's possible he benefited from not having an NCAA tournament because it 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 uh, eliminated the possibility that he would look like anything other than the best player in college basketball. Because uh, in the games that he played, that's what he looked or like. Or his team GP, or just this wouldn't be fair. I'm, I, I wasn't clear enough in that. It eliminated also Dayton potentially getting knocked out in the second round or the Sweet 16 and people saying, well, if you're really that good, you know, where's the proof in the tournament result? I think that also benefits him, him not having that potential, you know, bad end of it. Yeah, perhaps. I guess I could flip it around and say that there's also a scenario where if you remember, like Sportsline ran a, a simulation of the NCAA tournament and they had Dayton win in the national championship. Oh, yeah, like, sure. yeah. would, would Dayton have won it? I don't know, but they had, a, they were on the short list of teams that could have done it. And I do think there's a scenario where, and I'm not arguing whether this is right or wrong. I, I just know that it does happen sometimes where he just steamrolls through the NCAA tournament. Dayton actually wins the national championship. And suddenly if you're running an NBA franchise, you just go, of course, I, I can't. How do we pass on this guy? Like, I don't care that he's 22 years old. How do we yes. How do we not take that guy? That that was also in play. It was in play, and had that, oh, man. That would have been an incredible thing to watch. Dayton was fourth at Ken Palm. It was the best uh, shooting team in America overall, and, in fact, had the third best two-point percentage in the history of the sport. Dayton made 62.3% of its shots, only two other teams, uh, one of them being Belmont uh, a few years back and then Princeton in the early 90s, ever had a season where they were more accurate from two-point range, uh, and so much of that was topping, and certainly Trey Landers, as I mentioned before, Jalen Crutcher helping that overall. But you're right, had Dayton made a Final Four, and championship, you know what, all the, even more gravy at that point, but making a Final Four behind Toppin, I think we probably would have a little less 
of a sell on his stock at the high end. Again, it's all relative here. Obi Toppin is, is almost universally uh, observed as a top 10 player in this draft. To me, he should be universally observed as a top five guy. I just happen to believe that he should be more in the discussion for the number one pick. And really, as GP's mentioned before, he probably lands fourth behind LaMelo Ball in addition to two other guys we're going to talk about on future podcasts. Yeah, I'm fine with, you know, it, I, honestly, I'm fine with him going first overall. Like, I understand why somebody might do that. I'm fine with him slipping to four or even five. But outside of the top five, I, I just don't see that. My last question for you before we wrap here. We talked about LaMelo Ball in the previous one, and you mentioned, listen, when I've got the number one pick, uh, I really am not of the mind to take team needs into account. I'm trying to get the best guy. Do you think... Because we don't know the order yet. Do you think that Obi Toppin is going to either benefit or suffer from team need? Do you think that how his game and how he plays is more prone to where he's going to go based on team need versus his overall talent? I think of the top shelf guys, the person who could benefit or suffer most from team need is James Wiseman. Okay. He's, a, he's a center and only a center. Like he likes to call himself, and we will talk extensively about Wiseman on a future podcast. But he has, since he was in high school, called himself a unicorn, which maybe he and I just have different um, uh, definitions of that. But like he, he, he is uniquely gifted and special um, in in certain ways. But he is only a center. That, that's it. Obi Toppin could, you know, he could be a stretch four. He could play small ball five. If he, he played five at Dayton, you know, most of the time, so he he could play you know, either front court position. Um, he's comfortable around the rim. He's comfortable away from the rim. Wiseman is the one. If you've already got a center you love, do you really take another one? And it, if you just don't love centers, like if you just say, like, we, why are we taking somebody who can only play that position, you know, with a top five pick that that's that position has been so devalued in the modern NBA. I, I think he's the one that if the right team picks first, they might take James Wiseman. But there are certain franchises that if they get the number one pick, they just will not, if, like in the NFL, there are certain franchises just will not take a running back. I think there are also certain franchises in the NBA now that just will not take a center. Okay, understood. Um, well, uh, th that makes sense with Wiseman. He's obviously going to be one of our uh, our pods in the near future there. Toppin is uh, an interesting prospect, and I think it's really uh, – I think it's just – a cool thing that in in back-to-back -back years, and this isn't just specific to these years, but just most recently, uh, you've had a player come out of Murray State at a different position and work himself clearly into that top two conversation. And now we have a player out of Dayton work himself into that top two conversation. I think it's actually really good for college basketball that staffs that are outside the power conference structure can point to players and say, it is possible. Here's how it can be done. You look at John Morant, you look at Obi Toppin, and they can see some fine examples of it. No question. It is one of the misconceptions about college basketball. Like people often say nobody puts more players in the NBA than Kentucky or Duke. And, and that is technically true, but they don't put them in the NBA as much as they recruit NBA players, keep them for a year and then let them go to the NBA. Um, the truth is, if you are talented, they'll find you wherever you're at. It can be at Murray State. It can be at Dayton. It can be at Weber State. Um, if you are a top shelf prospect, it honestly doesn't really matter where you go to school. If you're in the Ivy League, they'll find you. And, um, you know, it didn't take long to find Obi Toppin. I mean, he was at Dayton. That's a proud and rock-solid basketball program. But, you know, he didn't need to go to Kentucky or Duke or North Carolina to become the national player of the year and a legitimate prospect. That, that happened at Dayton, and I think probably it would have happened anywhere. 
All right, if you guys are liking these, please let us know. We want, we still want more Apple Podcast reviews. You guys were so good at doing that throughout the season. It's been the off season, obviously, so they've slowed a little bit. Please give us feedback. This is a, you know, it's a fun little side project we're doing. In addition to regular episodes that are obviously still going to happen, we're going to still give you uh, some shouts, some fun news, some scoops, and analysis, and all that stuff. But we do have a build up to the NBA draft, and we're trying to give you guys multiple episodes per week. So we're doing a little, you know, a fun side thing here. So please do rate the pod on Apple Pod. Podcast. Even if you are like devoted to Spotify, hey, we love you there as well. But if you haven't rated, please do, and then give us feedback what you think about these little, um, you know, medium-sized episodes, if you will, with uh, with some evaluation. We'll take it in stock. And again, we've still got another five, six, or seven that are going to be coming in the weeks to come. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry and Matt Fantigle, legend. Shouts to Larnell. And like Norlanda said, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Appreciate you guys listening during the offseason, during a pandemic. Don't take it for granted. Uh, stay safe. We'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.